So um, I'm going to preach for about half an hour this morning, and I hope to encourage you in two very basic things this morning. We're going to look at Jesus again. We're doing a portrait of Jesus, uh, Jesus as he's portrayed in the Gospel of Mark, and we are on part seven. We are, we are approaching the end of chapter one, and I'd like to speak to you this morning about two things, Jesus as someone who prays, and Jesus the preacher. So I want to look at those two things, and I trust it's going to be really helpful and encourage you as we seek to be prayerful in our lives, and as we all seek to, in a real way, show Jesus to other people through our lives. All of us are preaching a message. Do you realize that? We all preach something. We preach something by how we live, by what we value, how we relate to people. We are all preaching. So I'm not just talking about what I do. I'm talking about what we all do. And the main game happens between Sunday and Saturday, doesn't it? The main game. Our lives are the main game. And I'm talking about what we share, what we preach through our lives, about who we are and what we value and how we see the kingdom of God, right? So that's what I'm talking about this morning. So just to refresh your memories, last, last time uh, we had a look at the, uh, 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 a day in the life of Jesus, and I tried to, uh, tried to speak to you about um, the, the authority that Jesus demonstrated through his life. And so we looked at two things, the miracle that he did on the Sabbath. Uh, one Sabbath day, there was a miracle in a public place of a demonic power in the synagogue. And then he also demonstrated his authority in a very private environment in, in a fisherman's cottage where Peter's mother was suffering from a fever. And so he demonstrates in a private way as well his authority over sickness. So there's the public authority over the demonic. There's the private authority in the home over um, sickness, and he demonstrates that he is the source of the power that God wants to show people that his kingdom has come, his kingdom is coming, and in a, in a very un obvious way, he's demonstrating that obvious fact that the kingdom has come through what he's doing and the way that he's ministering. And so that's what we looked at um, last time. And so I want to focus on prayer this morning because if you look at the next couple of verses in 30, verse 35, it says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, and we're getting used to that again now, aren't we? When my alarm goes off in the morning, it's dark again, but uh, well, it says very in the morning while it was still dark, um, Jesus departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and all those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, said to him, everyone's looking for you. You know, Jesus, come on now. People need you. Don't just be by yourself praying. <laughs> and then what does Jesus say? He says, um, let's go to the next town that I might preach there also, for this is why I came. And so he went throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So the first thing I want to look at is very simply two things this morning. First thing, Jesus as a man of prayer. And all over the Gospels, the fact that Jesus was a praying person is, 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 is recorded a number of times. So, for example, even when he's baptized, we, were told, we are told in Luke 3.21 that he was praying. When we read of the story on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke 9.29, it says, While he was praying, his appearance began to change. And there's this amazing thing that God does by the power of His Spirit. His clothes become dazzling white. While He was praying, God comes in a powerful way. Yeah, before He chose His, his disciples, uh, key moment in His ministry when He's going to do something amazing through investing in other people. It says in, in uh, Matthew 14, 23, 
um, sorry, in uh, Luke 6, 12, he continued all night in prayer before God. So when he's about to choose these guys that he wants to work with, he's doing it in a prayerful, prayerful manner. Um, even when people are speaking well of him, Jesus, you're a great man, you're a great teacher, and that it says that they want to make him king. We read in Matthew 14, 23 that he says no, and he goes up into a mountain alone to pray. He's not looking for the accolades of people. In all things, he's trying to be a prayerful person. Even and then when right at the end of his ministry in the garden in Gethsemane, we're told that um, in Mark 14 that he says to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray. And we know that they fall asleep. But right at the end of his ministry, at the beginning of his ministry, and right at the end, consistently in his life, we see that Jesus is a man of prayer. And so the perfect Son of God, sinless, all-powerful, sets an example for all of us, uh, even though he's part of the God Godhead, even though he's, he's God himself, he doesn't shrink back from using all means at his disposal as, a, as, as the God-man to communicate with his Father and say, God, my Father, apart from you I can do nothing. And J.C. Ryle is a wonderful Anglican um, preacher of centuries ago. He puts it like this. He says, he was perfect... And this perfection was kept up through the exercise of prayer. I love that. Jesus, the perfect one, the sinless one, the all-powerful one. His perfection, what he did, was kept up through the exercise of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that deeply challenging. The importance of my own private devotion, my prayer life, uh, that if Jesus saw it necessary to pray like this, how much more shouldn't I? And... Um, I have many weaknesses, and uh, some of those are obvious to all of you. So I'm not asking any of us to put legalistic expectations on each other. I'm not saying, you must pray, all right? Because that's what sometimes preachers do. They put stuff onto other people and say, you must do this. And it is good for us when we pray. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say it from this point of view. I'm trying to say that all of us realize that have a revelation by the power of the Spirit that our weakness is made perfect in His strength. Yes? Our weakness is made perfect in His strength. And how do we access His strength for our lives? We access it through His Word. We access it through prayer. We access it through the power of the Spirit and acknowledging that we need Him. You see, that's what prayer is. Prayer is just saying, Jesus, I need you desperately. Holy Spirit, I need you. I can't do this by myself. When we are not prayerful, what we actually are saying is, God, I can do it myself. And my gifts are sufficient for my own life. And really, my wisdom is sufficient for my own life. And I, I don't even really need to ask you because actually I've got a good plan anyway. I have a cunning plan, Baldrick. <laughs> Isn't it? That's what we're doing when we are praying. We are acknowledging that we, apart from Him, we can do nothing. I had, um, I don't want to get distracted because of the sake of, of time. But so the, the point is, what do I say to you this morning? Perhaps there's someone here this morning who you've known Jesus, you've been baptized, you've been walking with Christ for a long time. But as the years have gone by, you've fallen out of the habit of starting your day without prayer. Or you go to, night, to sleep at night and you don't even think about thanking God for His kindness and mercy. You've just got into this kind of routine in your life. You've fallen out of the habit of talking to Him. What should I say to you? 
Well, I must point you to the fact that Jesus, as the Son of God, was prayerful in everything that he did, that he asked his Father because he knew he still needed the help of his Father. And I want to kindly say to you, us as sons and daughters, imperfect, surely we too need to commune with our Father and ask him. And we love to quote, don't we, that the climax of the gospel is that we are sons and, go- and daughters of the Most High God. Isn't that uh, wonderful? And we, cry, we like to quote that scripture, by the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. We love to say that. But my friends, to be prayerless is to be Christless. To be prayerless is to not ask our Father for any help. What kind of son doesn't ask his dad for help? What kind of son or daughter doesn't just say, Dad, I'm really struggling right now. Will you help me? We, we've, we've in different stages of our life, you know, when, you, when you're parenting and your kids are young, there's one kind of relationship you have. And when your kids are teenagers, you have another kind of relationship with them. And when your kids are adults, you have another kind of relationship with them. It's like you have to learn parenting all the time. When they're small, when they're gaining some freedom, and when they're adults. And yet, in all of this, I would still love that my sons phone me occasionally and say, Dad, what do you think? Why? Because I'm still their dad. And surely, in the same way as those that love our Father in heaven, He saved us, He's transforming us, we're walking by the power of the Spirit, we're learning to be kind and gracious and compassionate. Surely, in the process of all of that, we should be those that are saying, Dad, will you help me right now? You see, that's why I think Paul said he prayed more than anyone else. Was it like that he was boasting in this kind of prayer life? No, he was simply saying, in my life, I talk to Jesus about stuff all the time. And my friends, I want to encourage you, whether you, commu- whether you are a commuter to London, you can put your headphones in on the train, and you can talk to Jesus about stuff while you're on the train. Yes? That we, we would be cultivating this prayerful life so that we can see God move in power. I've, I found this in my own life. When I ask a little in prayer, I must expect to have a little. And what I mean by, this is that, by that is this. I, I can't be surprised in my own life if um, my prayers are few that so too is grace in my life. So too is strength. So too is peace. So too is hope. I found there's a direct correlation between the two. When I pray little, there's little grace in my life. There's little kindness in my life. There's little patience in my life. When I pray much, more grace, more patience, more kindness with other people. Yeah? And so I want to encourage you to be someone who pray, is prayerful in all of your life. God is faithful to answer, and He will ask, answer you if you will ask Him. And my point this morning is simply, will you ask Him? So that's something you can only do for yourself. I can encourage you to do that, but you have to do it for yourself as a son and a daughter. Secondly, I'd like to just uh, point you to Jesus as the preacher. So he's a prayerful person. He's trying to find God's help in every area of his life. But then secondly, it says, Jesus came preaching. And there's a, it's a remarkable thing that we see in, the, in, in, in this passage. It says, Jesus responds and says, Let us go to the next town that I may preach there, for that is why I came. He came. He's saying very plainly and unmistakably that he came into the world to be a preacher and a teacher. This is the reason I came, says Jesus. And so... 
in the Old Testament, it says all sorts of wonderful things. It says we can expect a prophet that's greater than Moses, Deuteronomy 18.15. We know that the Bible says that Jesus left aside all the glory that he enjoyed in eternity with his father. And here he says the reason he left all that glory aside was to be a preacher, was to be a teacher. He came to show us and demonstrate to us a way of peace, to proclaim de deliverance for the captives, to sight for the blind, all of those things that we know. And so he says, this is why I came. I came to do this. And I want to speak briefly about the honor of preaching, the honor that we should bestow on preaching. Um, there's infinite honor that we need to bestow on preaching. And this is what Jesus said he came and undertook, to be someone who demonstrated through his life and through his preaching that the kingdom had come. And uh, he didn't choose to be a high priest like Aaron. He could have. He could have chosen to be a king like David. He could have. But he didn't. He chose a different calling, and he said, this is what I've come to do. This is why I've come. I've come to preach and to teach and to demonstrate the kingdom. And so I, never, I, want, I want to ask you kindly this morning that we never play down the office of preaching in the church. And I want to say to you kindly, the Word and the Spirit are never in opposition to each other. Never. The one is a demonstration of the other. And so there must be powerful prayer. We must pray for the sick. We must ask God to move in power. Absolutely. It's not at the expense of preaching. It is both and. Jesus came and preached the gospel, and he said, this is the good news, and he spoke about it, and then he demonstrated it. Both worked hand in hand. It's the Word and the Spirit. One is never in the opposition to the other. You know, the real stuff is when we see people healed. And the preaching is just, no, it's both. It's powerful preaching and demonstrated by the power of the Spirit. Yes? And so I want to celebrate everything of public worship. I want to celebrate intimacy with God. I want to celebrate God's presence through worship. I want to celebrate God's presence in the joy that we have when we break bread together. I want to celebrate the presence of God whenever we we see people healed and we pray for people and people are, are delivered and depression goes. I want to celebrate that. And at the same time, I want to celebrate preaching and never have a hierarchy in my mind and say that those things are above preaching because they are not. Here's the thing. How was the church gathered and founded? By Jesus preaching. How was, how, through centuries, how has the health of the church been maintained? preaching. How are people moved in the kindness of God towards repentance? They hear someone preaching a message, and they respond to the message. Are you with me? What about those that are on a journey of inquiry and saying, well, I'm not really sure about Christianity, and, and how do I understand what these Christians believe anyway? It's through preaching, largely, that they hear the message. And how are sinners moved to repentance? How is a secular pagan culture shown something of the love of God through preaching of the words and a demonstration of that. And so I think we should pause and consider what we do and the very things that our culture might look, might look down on and say that are missing the mark and are outdated. I want to point you to the fact that in Acts 17.6, it says that those were the very things that turned the world upside down. I love that. It's, it says this in, um, it says, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, and they've come here also. 
And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Come on. The culture can say what it's like, what it likes. We want to say, there is another king, and his name is Jesus, and we are living for him. I'm trying to encourage you guys this morning, all right? Let's find courage to be bold in declaring that there's another king. And that's what motivated the early church. It was all about preaching this king, this kingdom. And that's what Jesus said was the very thing that he had come for. He had come to demonstrate that through his life. And so he went faithfully about preaching the gospel, sometimes in a house, sometimes on a mountainside, in the synagogue, sometimes on a boat, but always preaching this message, saying, this is why I've come. So let, I want to encourage you, in your life, your life is different to mine. You have opportunities that I don't have. Many of you are meeting with business people every week that I don't have opportunity to meet with. You can preach something of the kingdom through your life and demonstrate something of the gospel through your life to those that do not yet know Christ. And so, what is the role then of a preacher well, I'm talking now specifically about the role of what I'm doing. Well, it's simply faithfully to give yourself to preaching the Word of God, all of God's Word. And I want to say to you, it's my conviction, that's the single most important thing in a church's life, to ensure the health of the church and the growth of the church. And God is always acting by His Spirit through the Word of God and, and demonstrating that through the Holy Spirit's ministry with power. And so the role of any preacher is simply to, as best as they can, with the gifts that they have, open the Word of God and unfold it for the people that we can begin to understand something more of what God has to say for us. And this, this implies two things. One, a belief in the authority of the Scripture. All right? I want to say to you, if you're a member of this church, that we believe <laughs> that the Bible is actually God's Word. We really believe that with all of our hearts, that actually the Bible is the full revelation of God's Word to us in Christ Jesus. We believe it from cover to cover. So if you want to say I have a narrow mind, I do. It is from one cover to the other end of the cover. That's how narrow my mind is. Doesn't mean I don't read other things and I'm not interested in other stuff. But I believe God's Word. And it's also, secondly, not only a belief that it's God's Word to us, but it's, a, it's also this. It's a commitment to hear God's Word. And what I'm saying is, it's not just giving mental assent to God's Word and saying, uh, yeah, that's good and that's interesting. Please, when you go and encourage someone who's preaching, can I tell you from my view what you should never say to them? Never say it was interesting. <laughs> to any preacher, that's like, Interesting. I don't want it to be interesting. I want God's Word to touch your heart. If you're trying to encourage the preacher, say that it made some kind of difference to your life, all right? If it didn't, well, that's the problem of the preacher. I understand that. But you know what I'm saying. The Word of God is not just interesting in some kind of, oh, yeah, that's interesting, and I'll compare that to, you know, what Descartes said and what he said and what he said, and it's one of many in interesting things. Now, the, the ascent in our hearts is to hear God's Word, so it transforms our hearts, and it transforms our lives. That's what we're committed to. So, what then should I say to you if you are looking for a good church? We've had lots of visitors over the last while. What is the most important thing that I can say to you? Here it is. Now I'm nailing my colors to the mast, so you all know, right? Is it how friendly the church is? 
Oh, it's, it's important that a church is friendly, and I hope this church is friendly. I know this church is friendly. It is, is it how wonderful the worship is, and that when we come into the meeting, we just feel goosebumps, and we feel this kind of sense of God is with us. Uh, that's important, absolutely, and I think I've had many great times of worship. Is it that there's power? Is it that there's evidence of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. We want to see people healed and delivered and set free. Absolutely. But here's the single most important thing that you must look for, even if you leave this church and go somewhere else, you must look for the centrality and commitment of the people leading and preaching to the gospel of Jesus. That is the most important thing, by far, over and above everything. Do they preach the gospel? Are they preaching legalism? Are they preaching a moral code? No, we preach the freedom of Christ. This is the most important thing. I'm not angry, sorry. I'll just get a little bit loud. <laughs> Everything in your life is built upon Jesus. Your parenting, your marriage, how you raise your kids, how you are a good citizen in a nation. Everything is built on the foundation of of Christ Jesus. And so that's what we need to look for. And so I want to say to you that preachers are not called to preach what is popular in culture. If you want to know what is popular in culture, you can just watch telly and you'll see for yourself what is popular in culture. Television feeds you all the time about what the culture values. We are not called to preach a moral code. We are not called to preach a history lesson. We're not called to comment on society. Sometimes a good preach will include some of those things, but it's not the primary reason that we preach. We're called to preach God's Word. We're called to preach to the church primarily and everyone in creation so that God can bring life through His Word. And you know, whenever I'm feeling discouraged about my own ministry and my own preaching, I remind myself of that wonderful scripture that says this, every word, as the, fall, as the rain falls down from heaven and waters the earth, so it is with the word of God, that every word that proceeds from your mouth will bear fruit. Amen. Uh, this is true for my life, it's true for your life. Whatever you speak and you know it's true, it will bear fruit, and you've got to trust that God will use you in that way. And so I read this uh, recently in Timothy. Timothy is a wonderful book. It just says this in chapter 2. Flee youthful passion, pursue righteousness, faith, love, along with all of those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. That could be a lesson for the 21st century. So much controversy, so much foolish stuff that people give all of their attention to. You know, recently there was the thing on... um, on, uh, I saw on Twitter with some two footballers' wives fighting about stuff. I don't care. I really don't care that the one is fighting with the other. Why must I give my attention to that? It's worthless. It's meaningless. Don't even look. Get something more noble in our lives than footballers' wives fighting with each other. Come on. Have nothing to do with that stuff. You know that it only breeds quarrels. Have nothing to do with it. And the Lord's servant, talking about every one of us, must not be quarrelsome. Don't fight about stuff. Kind to everyone. Able to teach. Able to say what we believe. Patiently enduring evil. Patiently. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. You don't blitz people. <laughs> you know, just take out my word shotgun and just... 
blast people with truth. No, that's not how we do it. Gently, walking alongside, encouraging, even when you disagree, having in your heart grace and kindness towards a person, so you win the person. So what's the point of being right about everything and you've got no friends? So, and then, and then I love this part. It says, God might perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, so that they might come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And he continues and says, understand, in the last days, things will become difficult. <laughs> things will become difficult, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Isn't that our culture? Just can't be appeased, never can have enough of anything. Not enough money, not enough sex, not enough alcohol, not enough anything. Always dissatisfied. Re slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When I read that this week, I said, God, help us. This culture loves pleasure more than anything else. Just give me pleasure. My need right now, better lover, better wife, more money. When people's football teams lose, they, they trash and burn. Why? It's all about pleasure and being entertained. Come on. There's something higher in your life than your football team's success. Come on. Whales might do well. They might. I don't know. They might not. But you know what? Jesus is still on the throne. And we all know the All Blacks are going to win anyway. So. And he has... He has, the, he has the hard part for me because it says all of that about our culture, and then Paul says, avoid such people. Avoid people that are like that. And he concludes and says, those kind of people will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as, as it was to those two men, Janus and Jamra. So what is he trying to say? He's trying to say that as we live our lives, focus on the right thing. Don't get distracted by the wrong thing. Don't partner in your life with people that are not going to do you good because ultimately you want God's kingdom to be shown through your life. And so I want to just encourage you that as you live your life, remember that the way that God creates other believers is through His words as you live it and you preach it. And Paul's relationship with Timothy was absolutely remarkable. Here in the Scripture, Paul never says, Timothy... What I want you to give your attention to is form a committee. That's what you must do. You must have a committee, Timothy, so that you make sure everything runs well. He never says that. He doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that we should have committees. And I'm not against committees per se, but it doesn't. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, Timothy, read lots of books and tell people how much you've read from books. Does he say that? Books are good. Absolutely, we must read. What does Paul say? He says, does he say you must visit everyone in the church? Uh, visiting is good, but Paul doesn't say to Timothy, make sure you visit everyone in the church. Of course, we do want to do that. He says straightforward what he must give himself to. I charge you in the presence of God and in the presence of Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. 
preach the word through your life. Be ready. Season, out of season. Correct, reprove, encourage with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths of all kinds. As for you, Tim, Mithy, be sober-minded. Endure, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So Paul simply says, preach the word. And I want to encourage you through your life, whether you have an opportunity to speak to people or if you can demonstrate, as you can demonstrate uh, through your life, that you do so as an absolute priority because God's word is life to those that do not know him. And lastly, I want to just uh, conclude with some, some good news about uh, that there will be an end to preaching. <laughs> we, we won't need it in the end, and uh, you can also amen to that, right? So there's going to be no preaching in heaven. Why? Because we're going to see Jesus face to face, and we're going to love him, and we won't need to be transformed anymore because we will be perfectly transformed and glorified, and we won't need preaching in heaven. And all of us say, amen. amen. All right. But we're still being transformed right now, and while we're still being transformed, and our sinful na nature is still at war within us, and we need to be changed, we need to be transformed by the Word of God, and therefore there is a need of preaching. So, you know, some, some of, uh, over the years I've seen there's been, a, the, the, the various stages, there's been uh, criticisms of preaching. Um, and some have argued and said um, that we need to change preaching because our culture is changing and we need to be re less rational. We must be more artistic, more about presentation, less authoritarian. You know, can't have one guy up at the front and preaching at people and telling them what to do. We need to speak about it. We need to dialogue you know, we must dialogue and talk about this like we can debate whether God's Word is true, true or not. You know, monologue style of preaching, outdated. Don't need that. So what, what, what should I say to you? Well, I want to just quote one person, a guy that I read a lot, a guy called Mark Deaver, who's the Baptist minister from Washington, D.C., and he says this. He says, there's something right and good about this ancient method, he's talking about preaching, that makes it appropriate, perhaps even especially appropriate in our culture today, in our isolating, subjectivistic culture, where everyone's just doing their own thing, in this anti-authoritarian culture, where everyone is confused and confusing, so many opinions, there's something appropriate about us all gathering and listening to someone who's standing in the place of God, giving his word to us, and we contribute nothing other than to hear it and to heed it. It's powerful what he's saying. He's saying there's something that demands humility when you come and sit under preaching. You are saying by hearing and listening, you are putting your life under the authority of God's word, and you're saying, I choose to hear. I'm not here to debate. I'm choosing to hear right now, God, what you're saying, and I want to hear as best as possible there's times for debate. There's times to discuss. There's times to dialogue. But when we come together, we sit under the authority of God's word all together and we say, Jesus, I want you to transform me right now by your word. I give myself to that. I open my ears. I choose to hear not what you want to say to everyone else, what you want to say to me. There's humility in that. So what does it mean for this church? Well, simply put, 
the preaching of God, God's Word is central to everything that we do. And we want to give ourselves to sound expositional preaching as a foundation for this church. And we'll continue to do that as best as we can uh, into the future. And I love that if you're hungry for God's Word, you, your life will be transformed um, as God speaks to you through the power of His Word. I, I love this um, quote of Martin Luther. He says this, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. You hear what he's trying to say? He's trying to say all of his confidence was in the Word of God to transform people. The Word of God is powerful. It's active. It makes a difference if you allow it to get into your heart and produce fruit there. And then uh, uh, just a reminder also of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. I love that. It's not that the gospel is foolishness. It's that this thing that we do where we kind of get up and preach, it's foolishness to, to, it was foolishness to the Greeks. Yet Paul says through this, this act, this, this thing that happens, when we sit under the Word of God, He does an amazingly powerful thing in our lives. And so that's what we need to hear today, becoming those that hear God's Word, heed God's Word. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, many people can hear the Word of God but have no intention of following it. And what good is that to you if you think that you have God's Word but you don't have any intention of allowing it to transform you and to change you? and to make your life something that counts for Christ. And so, I want to encourage you that uh, as you are part of this church, that you would um, encourage the preachers that are, are try, doing their best to uh, preach. We're not saying that we are necessarily the most gifted people in the world. You might hear many more gifted preachers, but we are trying to be faithful to, to taking God's Word and helping you to understand so that we can... Uh, grow together in Christ. So what do we need to do then to make this church increasing, increasingly um, strong and increasingly healthy? Well, simply, it's not about the coffee. It's not about the venue. It is about friendship. It is about fellowship. It is about worship. It is about all of those things. But ultimately, what is going to make us strong in Christ is to humble ourselves and to do the thing that Jesus said he'd come to do to live our lives and through our lives preach God's word so that many might come to know him as Christ, as Savior, as the Lord of all. Amen. And uh, Matthew 4 says, You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Can I encourage you? Be prayerful in your life. Develop your own, your own rhythm of prayer, however that happens for you. Be someone that lives your life in a way that preaches to others. Make sure that the values that you are living, you, you, you're reflecting in your life are kingdom things, that God is transforming you on the inside by the power of His Spirit, by the power of His Word, and that your life is a demonstration of that. Not in a legalistic way, but just as the Holy Spirit comes and you're obedient and you speak of Him, every one of us is preaching something. Let it be the kingdom that we are preaching through our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Do you want to stand? Thank you. Please pray. Please stand. Let's pray.
Father, I want to pray for my friends, every single one of the people that are gathered here this morning, and even those that are not here today for whatever reason. We want to pray, Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Spirit, not only to be prayerful, but also to be bold in declaring your goodness to others, that we would use our lives to preach to others and demonstrate something of your kingdom to those that we are coming into contact with. And I pray, Lord, for the businessmen here, the businesswoman, those that commute into London every single day. Father, I pray for opportunities for them on the train to be a blessing to someone else, to speak of something of the love of Christ, to demonstrate something of the love of Christ to those that are crammed in to those, those trains every morning. Help us, Lord, to be bold. Help us to take one little step just to speak of something of what you've done for us in a demonstrable way. Lord, we pray that you fill us with power. Uh, thank you that your power is here, and we want to be those that demonstrate your power. So help us, Jesus, to be bold. I pray that next week we will have testimonies of, um, of people who have just stepped out and done something extraordinary in terms of reaching out to those around them. And God, I pray that we would implore, uh, applaud the courage of people that are doing for your kingdom what you've called them to do. And I bless you, Lord. I bless you for this church, this amazing church. Let us be fruitful in our lives by the power of your Spirit as we live for you. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.